Gentlemen, Bears, Vorda, and things to episode 27 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we are here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We have been and will continue to do one to one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Milton Burl. And Star Trek original series episode, The Alternative Factor. <laughs> but before we get to the reviews, Jarman, do we have any feedback? We do. Uh, we had a little bit of a hiatus there due to some cool stuff going on in Steve's life. Yeah. But uh, for feedback, we had a podcast that actually listened to us, uh, one of our episodes. They found us randomly uh, called oh. the, the Mega Podtastic. And via Twitter, they said, I just listened to your first episode. You've taken the two things I love the most in the world, Star Trek and the Muppets, and put them together. This is fantastic. You guys have to be a guest on my show someday. Uh, Absolutely. So then on their episode episode 19, they did a high five segment, I think kind of like our radical recommends on our old show, uh, where they talked about our show. And so I guess we go listen to it soon. And what what is this one more time? It's called Mega Podtastic. Mega Podtastic. Fantastic. Episode 19. That's right. And so we should go listen. We're going to have to listen now. So thank you for that shout out and the high five guys. And I look forward to to hearing. Now, we can't recommend their show yet because we haven't listened, but we will before we do, because there could be some weird alt right craziness. So we don't want to get in that. Yeah, like as long as as you guys aren't, you know, like about Nazis, (laughs) we'll probably be able to give you a high five, too. (laughs) It should be fine. Yeah. All should be well. <laughs> Based on the name of the podcast, I'm sure it's probably fine. Yeah, make it podcastic. Check it out. Make it podcastic. <laughs> so, Steve, uh, this week on The Muppets, we have a person I'm, I'm fairly familiar with, but uh, Milton Berle. Can you tell us more about him? Yeah. Milton Berle, star of uh, Vaudeville as a kid, which he makes reference to in the episode, eventually moving on to stage, screen, radio and he even had his own show for a while the Milton Burl show this uh came sort of at a renaissance of his career i'm sort of seeing a between him and george burns mm. the sort of second coming of these comedians um but he is a great straight man uh in this movie he makes an appearance later in the muppet movie and he is a friend to uh the muppets in general uh, but what does our audience know him from Probably the Muppet movie cameo. Uh, unless you're into really old comedy, uh, most p- people in our generation don't have a real basis of who Milton Berle is. And if they do, it's from this period in his career when he kind of came back. Yeah. And he was on a lot of the same, like the game shows and the talk shows. Right. Uh, yeah. He, he famous for being famous. He's in that that genre of people. But multi-talented guy. But yeah. This week on The Muppet Show. It's uh, it's a real good one. Backstage this week, uh, Scooter informs Milton that he's about to be on stage and calls for makeup. Milton says what? And then gets hit in the face with a huge powder puff of makeup. It's a, I, I laughed out loud because I had completely forgotten about the moment. Uh, the remainder of the backstage plot revolves around the fact that Fozzie is really frightened to be around Milton Burrow because he's such a great comic. Um, 
Fozzie hides in a dressing room and hurts his nose. And then he puts on a ridiculous disguise and tries to hide. And then finally Fozzie is hiding and Milton comes looking for him because Milton always really wanted to perform with Fozzie. Suddenly Fozzie is there and they go on to uh, perform top banana, which is the closing number of the show. And that's the backstage plot on stage this week. Kerman introduces Milton Burrow, one of the world's great comedians. Up next is The Ugly Song, uh, a truly iconic Muppet Show song where many ugly monsters sing about how it's just great to be ugly because there's so many of us and you're in really good company. <laughs> good message. Um, Milton goes out and just does stand up. He's st- heckled by Statler and Waldorf. And what follows is honestly one of maybe the best pieces of comedy writing in all of The Muppet Show. The back and forth that happens is so tight and well done that it just plays beautifully. And I wondered if it's like because he helped write that and made himself look like the bad guy or like the really not that great of a comic and gave them all the funny lines because Statler and Waldorf oh, the self deprecating humor. We can talk more about it in the review, but absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great bit. Great bit. Uh, we then get him up a news flash, a estate being fought over between a widow and a pet cat. The widow wins, but the inheritance is a bunch of rubber mice. <laughs> Uh, next up is Pigs in Space. The crew's on a collision course with some strange object. They argue about what it could be, uh, only for it to realize that it's Gonzo on a motorcycle, which passes them in space. <laughs> and then the captain gets his nose caught in the door. Uh, Milton performs with Ralph, the entertainer. It's not the first time we've heard it on the show. Uh, it's a lovely heartfelt performance with a deep connection for Milton, who actually performed in vaudeville as a kid, which he talks about. It then turns into a gaudy upscale version of performing... People and a ringmaster shows up and it fin- finishes somber with Milton kind of in the spotlight. Uh, following this is Piggy that then does yet another version of the entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it ends with her twerking. <laughs> Early twerking, folks. Early twerking. Uh, Piggy <laughs> may have done it first. <laughs> Kermit introduces uh, Zelda Rose and her singing owl singing the song. <laughs> where the owl sings the iconic word repeatedly and this is yet another like classic all-time number from from the muppet show it's very cute uh the closing number this week features fozzy as i mentioned and milton performing top banana it's about being the the top headliner comic in vaudeville days and they do a bunch of old school bits including squirting each other with seltzer bottles and classic prop gags and ear uh fozzy's ears wiggling when he hits punch lines it's real cute uh, Kermit thanks Milton Burl, who comes out with Fozzie. They're going to go out and go on the road, but Burl insists on for top billing, Burl and the Bear. And that is this week's episode of The Muppet Show. Nice, nice. Uh, the music this week, Ugly Song, is by a guy named Paul Tracy. He wrote a few songs for The Muppets, including Gonzo's Wishing Song from the last episode, which is also a super iconic song. Hmm. The Entertainer, we talked about it prior uh, on an episode where it was performed by Phyllis Diller on a saxophone. That's right. <laughs> Who uh, by Jerome Kern. He was writer of other popular songs such as Old Man River and Can't Help Loving Dat Man. Uh, this song is from a musical called Sunny from the mid 20s. It's the story of a penniless circus performer who falls in love with a rich boy only to meet pushback from his snobby family. And then Top Banana by Johnny Mercer, who we've mentioned before as the co-founder of Capitol Records. And he's the writer of other Muppet Show songs like Lazy Bones, which was performed in season one on the Phyllis Diller episode. Uh German, what did you think of this week's episode of the Muppet Show featuring Milton Berle? I think it was all around solid, but had some ups and downs. I was a little worried there for a bit because Milton Berle almost seemed uncomfortable with the Muppets. Not the most natural, like a lot of other guests we've talked about or guest hosts. Um, but then once he got um, 
doing his, his comic act. He felt more comfortable. And I like the fact that he played the guy who's being deprecated and like that the he gave Statler and Waldorf all the funny moments like that really worked for me. And I thought that was hilarious because he they were just wrecking him, which was awesome. <laughs> um, and then I was it was kind of lulling a little bit for me. But then, man, it really hit home when he was doing the the basically turned into a clown for the vaudeville number with Fozzie. And it was just it was oh, just great timing. It was and, wonderful. Like his, his timing yeah. was kind of, kind of kind of off the rest of the episode. But then for that, it was dead on. It was hilarious. It was really funny. And it's like Fozzie at his best too. So like that was that was all around really good. So that made the episode just that number alone, like skyrocket towards the top for me. Yeah. Um. For whatever reason, this episode doesn't strike me the right way. But as I look at it in pieces, I don't know why. Because there's two iconic musical numbers: mm-hmm. the ugly song and Who. Um. You get great Milton Berle in that back and forth with Statler and Waldorf, which is just beautifully performed, as we mentioned. Um, you get the entertainer, you get sentimental connection with the host. Like, I don't know what my issue is with this episode, but for whatever reason, it just doesn't rub me right. Well, I think because sometimes he's, he doesn't connect well with the Muppets. Like he's, he's and like, that might be it. Yeah, that might be it. So I get it. I totally get it. It's just, I think it made it a lot better than it would have been if it weren't for those two like numbers for me. Um, yeah, his stand up set and then the banana number at the end with Fozzie really mm-hmm. knocked it home and who was really cute. I chuckled. It was really cute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> best Muppeteering moment. Mm, what do you think? What was your favorite? So my favorite, um, and I'm not even sure this is puppeteering because I don't know. So I don't know if it counts, but the Statler and Waldorf Milton Burrow back and forth, mm. which is beautifully done. But the best part of it, and I'm, this could either be editor or director, um, was that not only did Milton play the straight man, but they didn't do standard comedy cuts. Okay. So instead of cutting back, you if you ever watch it again, instead of cutting back to Statler and Waldorf for the punchline, they kept the camera on Milton and you got to watch his face react <laughs> or realize what they were saying or get the joke himself. And because they didn't cut for the punchline the way you would in standard comedy, you got to watch him be like depressed and being taken down. Right. Yeah. Uh, I can they compare that. him to someone. He goes, what? He's not a comedian. I go, yeah, neither are you. Instead of cutting back to them for neither are you, they stay on him so you get to watch him have this line hit him in the face. (laughs) That's like a pie to the face, basically. So I'm not sure that's Muppeteering or directing or editing, but for whoever made that choice and kept the camera on him for the punchlines made the right choice. That was a little bit of all those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, it's it's got to be the last, the the top banana number, um, because I was thinking this guy is... 69 i think when he's filming this episode surprisingly not that old um and he's doing lots of movements back and forth collecting the right items getting the right props going back and forth they don't cut away at any point in time and then at the same time fozzy a muppet is doing that as well so i'm like (laughs) doing not only are you a human doing that is difficult but then if you're a puppeteer making this puppet do the same thing and get the right props and come back on no cuts like that's really difficult to do as well so i I remember somebody else was doing the right hand Oh God, <laughs> that's even more Two ridiculous. Tears doing Fozzy because most of those bits involved two hands plays. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, that's that was just impressive to me. When you really think about these, it, this seems so normal. Like you think of Fozzy as this creature that's doing this, but then no. And it's, think about all the holes in the floor that Milton <laughs> Burl, a like near seventy year old man, is walking around. <laughs> that's true. Gotta just holes in the floor. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been dead in this episode. He wouldn't have lived till two thousand two, which is when he lived. That's till. right. It's crazy. He made it a long way. He did. So, German, tell us about this week's the original series episode that we watched. Oh, the alternative factor. So, I had thankfully, I think, forced this out of my mind. This episode, um, 
it's so for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, a bunch of fans came together and they did like a big voting session at this big convention. And this was rated the ninth worst episode of Star Trek ever. I think it's including like all series combined. Uh, so, wow. yeah, it's it's got its problems. So bear with me here, folks, as we go through what happened in this episode. It's the a alternative tough factor. premise. It is. And surprisingly, there's very little action in this episode, but a lot happens. So, OK, so the Enterprise is just sailing along when uh, suddenly it's hit by a strange energy burst. So Spock tells Kirk that the planet nearby suddenly had a gravity pull of zero and that the nearby space momentarily winked out of existence. And Kirk is confused by that, as are we. Uh, so sensors on the Enterprise now see the readings of a human on the nearby planet that wasn't there before. So Spock and Kirk go down to the planet with security team to find a beat-up dude named Lazarus there who suddenly freaks out in a really dramatic fashion and passes out, and he falls down on some rocks. So he is taken to the med bay on the Enterprise, and Kirk is informed that the dilithium crystals have been drained. And right then at that same moment, he's contacted by Starfleet, and they say that this strange space disruption that he encountered could be a prelude to an invasion for some reason, and that they are seeing these disruptions across the galaxy and that it seems to be centered on where the Enterprise is. So Kirk is ordered to figure things out. So throughout this episode, Lazarus is this guy they, they found on the planet, seems to slip out of the regular universe and then fight an unknown assailant and then reappear in the regular universe. And each time he does this, it causes the same weird uh, energy disruption that seems to make things blink out of existence for a second. So Spock says that he needs to, he sees a rip in space-time down on the planet. And Lazarus claims that his sworn enemy, the guy he was fighting earlier, is causing this weird disruption and that the Enterprise should help him destroy him. But he's being very terrible with the details and just leaves the crew more suspicious and confused the entire time, as are we. Uh, Lazarus steals the dilithium from the Enterprise to go recharge his ship. And they capture Lazarus and say, hey, you stole the dilithium, but he claims it wasn't him, but his nemesis. Very confused, Kirk and the team beam back to the planet with Lazarus to find this enemy of his, but Lazarus has another episode, and he falls over again, so they take him back to sickbay. <laughs> Bear with me, folks. We're getting there. Uh, once he crazy. wakes again, Lazarus explains that he is, in fact, a time traveler, but he didn't want them to think he was crazy, and that the planet below was once his homeworld, but that his enemy, his nemesis, this guy he keeps talking about, is the one who destroyed him. A monster. Him. A monster. So now he has chased him for centuries. So Spock eventually figures out that this enemy that he keeps talking about is actually Lazarus from the antimatter universe, and that the two of them, if they actually touch each other in either of these universes, then this weird, besides the weird dimension that they're fighting in, uh, they would blow up the entire universe in space and time, both universes. They blow up everything. Everything would be destroyed. So Lazarus gets away again somehow. We don't know how he keeps getting away and no one's watching him. So he takes the dilithium again. And he goes to repair his ship, but Kirk stops him just in time. But this transports Kirk to the antimatter universe where he meets anti-Lazarus, where he asks Kirk to help him stop regular Lazarus because he's gone insane. Because you see, long ago, regular Lazarus found out about anti-Lazarus. And since then, he's been on a mission and to kill him. <laughs> yes, which has driven him insane enough that he doesn't care if he destroys both universes as long as anti-Lazarus is dead. Right. So anti-Lazarus tells Kirk that if he helps him to trap both regular Lazarus and anti-Lazarus in their dimensional pocket for all eternity, it will save both universes. Right. Because only if they're in that pocket can they not destroy both if they touch. Exactly. So he sends Kirk back to the regular universe. Kirk subdues regular Lazarus, pushes him into the dimensional pocket, 
and the Enterprise blows up his ship, sealing the two of them to battle in that dimensional pocket for eternity, thus saving both universes. Yeah. What an episode. <laughs> that was definitely what we watched. <laughs> yep. So, uh, our only little bit of trivia I have here was kind of a fun little thing. Um, in the original script, uh, Lazarus romantically comes on to Lieutenant Charlie Masters to gain her assistance, and the two fall in love. Uh, but when African- Is that the one we know? No, but when African-American okay. actress Janet McLaughlin was cast as Masters, you remember the, the, the black lieutenant? Yeah. Uh, the romantic angle was dropped because it was too you know risque to have this right. white guy in the black yeah. one. Uh, in addition, Gene Roddenberry says, though, that he actually have a memo proving that he did say this before the, the race issue came into play, was that it was too similar to Khan and McGivers or MacGyvers from uh, Space Seed. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, in both Space Seed and this story, we have a crew woman fall madly in love with a brawny guest star and flipping our whole gang into a real mess because she's in love. Do they have to do this in two of our scripts? He said. So, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily about the race issue, but because it was just too similar to Khan. Fair. Uh, yeah. So please, Steve, tell us what you thought about this mess. <laughs> okay, so my things I liked note section is one note long. Oh, good. Uh, I I like that this felt big because we've never seen Starfleet react this way. We've oh. watched the Enterprise get into all sorts of dumb situations, and we have never once seen Starfleet be like, you're on your own, goodbye. <laughs> That's true good luck out there so it was like oh this is serious you haven't seen the meddling yet or being involved in that way yeah that's true um and so it was just that felt cool the rest of it was pretty bad uh lazarus's introduction fall was awful <laughs> it was awful his facial hair was awful it's like a fumanchu of some sort um everything was confusing and bad <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. This, this is by far my least favorite episode we've watched so far. Hey. Without a doubt. Like, I don't even have to think about the other episodes we've watched. That makes it simple. <laughs> because whereas other ones were at least forgettable, this one's memorable, but for really bad reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, will one of those reasons be that it just, for me, it felt like they had about 10 minutes of script and they had to fill the rest of it with flashing screens and people fighting in a weird dimension it's nuts i think like 30 the, minutes of this episode could have been cut yeah the only character i liked was the anti lazarus like good lazarus yes he was calm and collected calm and collected and the actor playing him did a good job but like man regular lazarus was terrible everything this was bad and you know the uh the silent film star uh john barrymore <laughs> Yes. Who's their lineage of Barrymore's has continued down to, uh, to uh, Drew Drew Barrymore. Uh, his son, who is not Drew Barrymore's father, uh, was originally going to play this role and got uh, he had to quit last minute because of another project. So they went over budget and over time on this episode. They had to find this actor to play Lazarus and they pulled him in the last minute. <laughs> so for that, I think he did a pretty good job. And uh, John Barrymore got suspended from SAG for six months. Yes. And he could not take any other jobs for six months because of not showing up to Star Trek. They actually sued, yeah, the SAG for this. That's crazy. I can't believe that actually worked. Yeah. All of this episode. So, yeah, not not the best. Uh, no, this is it's I, bad. I, I have the premise is thin and confusing. 
there's not enough play between the anti-universe and the main. Yeah, they didn't it's, make it clear what that meant and why and how, right? Where, when, all the questions. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought it was a very poor episode overall. I have to poor. say, uh, I've t- I've told my girlfriend who's not seen Star Trek before. Um, there's certain quintessential original series episodes I'll have her watch, but she doesn't need to watch all of them. And we're watching this one, and, and she's like, is this one of those episodes I, I have to watch? And I said, no, 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 darling, no. You can go. Avert your <laughs> eyes. Go, don't do something else, please. <laughs> all right. So that's great. So the uh, Trek connections of this oh, horrible boy. episode. All right. So the original series episode, The Doomsday Machine, mm-hmm. was a huge hit. And Roddenberry asked its writer, a guy named Norman Spinrad, to write another episode. What a name. The big conditions were that it had to take place on this jungle backlot in like Culver City or something like that. And it had to have a huge role featuring comedy legend Milton Berle, who was having a career comeback at that time. So he wrote the episode. Roddenberry loved it and turned it over to production. Uh, Producer writer Gene L. Kuhn, I think is his name. Got his hands on the episode and rewrote the entire thing and made it a huge bit comedy thing for Burl. Spinrad hated it and asked Roddenberry to kill it, and Roddenberry killed it. Oh, wow. So somewhere there exists a Star Trek, two different Star Trek scripts featuring Milton Burl. Both canned. <laughs> Both canned, one serious and one funny. <laughs> that would have been great. Oh, man. Uh, both Shatner and Burl have recorded covers of Beatles songs. Oh, no. Uh, Shatner recovered Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and Burl uh, Yellow Submarine. <laughs> and neither of them should have. And uh, there's a show called The Hollywood Palace that ran from the early 60s until the 70s, uh, until 1970. It was a weekly variety show that was a replacement for the Jerry Lewis show when it went off the air. It had many guest hosts and episodes, and one episode featured guest host Milton Berle and Leonard Nimoy was the musical guest singing the song. Uh, Here we go round again. Oh God. <laughs> and those are the Trek connections for this week. I'm amazed once again, Steve, that you found these things. I dig deep, man. Mm-hmm. It's impressive. Deeper than any man should. Oh, that's true. So let's talk about similarities. Cause these are both basically the same episode. What you got for us? Uh, Fozzie attempts to disguise himself from Milton Berle, just like bad Lazarus tries to hide from the captain. Fair, fair. Very good. Uh, I have a uh, Milton Berle gets smacked by a giant blue Muppet in the beginning with a, a makeup sponge. Yeah. Just like another character in the Star Trek episode gets hit by a blue guy in, That's that, true. in the weird dimensional pocket. Uh, both feature a spaceship experiencing an unexplained phenomenon. The Enterprise and the space fluctuation and the swine trek and Gonzo on a motorcycle. That's similar to what I had because it also looks like a big flashing light on the planet, just like the it's flashing true. light of the motorcycle. That was too similar. Uh, Fozzie in his disguise and Lazarus had the same terrible facial hair. <laughs> this is true. Uh, they joke uh, when Fozzie gets his nose stuck in the door. Kermit jokes that we've already used that joke in the pigs in space sketch. Wink, wink. Uh, just like they used the bit of the guys fighting in the blue room too many times in Star Trek episode. They did. So that's a lot of stuff that's very similar. It's basically the same show. Same show, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh what's that noise? Transporter malfunction. 
All right, folks, it's the transporter malfunction where we transport one character from one episode to the other episode. Uh, so what you got for us this week, Steve? So I've got from Muppets to Trek, uh, Fozzie and Fozzie in his disguise with the nose and the beard <laughs> going over to replace Lazarus and anti-Lazarus. <laughs> I have something similar. Okay, so... Milton Burl and Fozzie both transport over to play the two different halves of Lazarus. Oh, like their top banana. Well, thing? basically, we're basically there. But you have Milton Burl as Milton Burl, and then Fozzie as Fozzie. But they're the two different halves. But like Fozzie's really scared of Milton Burl, just like the other guy's scared okay, of his other yeah, half. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of works out. <laughs> uh, and then from Trek to uh, Muppets, I've got McCoy coming over and replacing Dr. Julia Strangepork because McCoy was quite saucy on this week's episode. So he I think was. he would fit in well on the swine trek. I wouldn't know. I'm just a country doctor. It's a country doctor, Jim. <laughs> uh, I have Lazarus comes over to take over for Burl, particularly in the number where he monologues over the entertainer. Uh, but instead of reminiscing about the old days of vaudeville, he is ranting crazily about his arch nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> Da, 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 I da, tell da, you, she's out there. <laughs> he came to my planet in the swift of night. It would be so great. It would be. Uh, oh, so I guess uh, that brings us to the end of episode 27 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for the Muppet Show with special guest John Cleese. An original series episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. So from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Oh,